You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. Um, I know you hear my introduction every time, but some people are new to my ministry and this really helps them out. So if you are new to my ministry, my name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. I've written seven books. All my books are available on Amazon. Check them out if you get some time. All my books have been bestsellers, except for my first one, and it was a bestseller after about a year, um, so it took time to germinate for that, and when I say my, my book is a bestseller, I'm not talking like J.K. Rowling's or Stephen King or anything like that. I'm just saying all of my books have been on the bestseller lists on Amazon, on, and there's several lists, so when I say I'm a bestselling author, I'm just telling you that my books have hit that bestselling list at some point or another. Okay, so they're they're good books. <laughs> I love my books. <laughs> I'm a little biased, but I have received a lot of good feedback over the years. Check out my books if you get some time. Now, if you have read any of my books, go back to Amazon, leave me a quick review. A lot of people forget to do that. They read my books and then they actually email me because my email address is in the book. And I always ask for them to go back and leave a review. So if you haven't done that, please take time out today and leave me a review for the book you've read on Amazon. I also have a podcast. The name of my podcast, good morning, good morning. How y'all doing? Thanks for joining. The name of my podcast is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. It is available on all of the podcast apps. Check it out if you're watching on YouTube. And maybe you've been watching on YouTube and you're like, I would like to actually listen to him in my car or when I'm working out or, or whatever. Download the podcast. My podcast is my most popular part of my ministry as of today. As of right now, it has been the past um, five or six months. My podcast is in the top 5% of all downloaded podcasts, most downloaded podcasts worldwide, including secular podcasts. So that is just amazing to me. And I am boasting in the Lord because I don't know how that happened. But for some reason, it's relatable. People like it. And I think it's because I'm not trying to be pretentious or do something that I don't really need to do. I'm just talking to you like a regular person. So be sure to check out the podcast, Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. If you want to watch these podcasts being recorded live, which I'm recording it live right now on Instagram, go to my Instagram profile and hit the notifications button. You'll be notified anytime I go live on Instagram. If you are listening to the podcast and if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to pause it and leave me a review for the podcast as well. All right, so I'm also not a pastor. I'm a regular person just like you. The word pastor is mentioned once in the New Testament. That's it in Ephesians chapter four. There is no list of qualifications. There is no list of authority. So that tells us, according to the Bible, that we are giving somebody an honorific title, which is not an honorific title in the Bible. We are giving somebody authority over us who, according to the Bible, have no authority over you. We are giving somebody an honorific title, title and authority, and the Bible doesn't even give them qualifications. So let's go back to the Bible, find the word pastor, and then let's begin to build our church on what the original gospel was set up on. Am I against people who have that honorific title as of today? No, I am not saying attack them. I am not trying to disrespect them. I'm not saying go to your church and say, your title is not in the Bible. You shouldn't be up there. I'm saying build bridges. Build bridges, find ways to build bridges and interact with commonality. That's what's important. Love them, but just know the truth according to scripture. You know everything you need to know right now. Okay, you don't have to go to seminary. The first seminary wasn't even established until the year 1784. 
You don't have to be able to study the Bible. You need to know Jesus. Okay? The Spirit of Jesus Christ is a lot older than the Bible. Now, when you first hear that, you're thinking, well, Matt's saying that the Bible don't matter. Oh, no. The Bible is perfect, right, true. We go to the Bible for doctrine. Everything belongs in the Bible. But the, the Bible backs up the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't back up the Bible. The Spirit is eternal. We are so fortunate to have something written that we can read. But the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, has been guiding humanity from the beginning. All right. Now, um, what else? Oh, I don't know everything. I'm a regular person just like you. I don't have to know everything. Some ministries are set up on knowing everything. I was even involved with that for quite a while. And I woke up one day and I was like, this is kind of like a cult. I'm finding myself having to go to an individual person for every single answer. And Jesus didn't say they will know you by your knowledge. He didn't say they will know you by your ability to, to quote scripture verbatim. He didn't say they will know you by your anything except for love. So that is what I hope you get. And there's nothing against knowledge. There's nothing against the Bible. There's nothing against quoting scripture. But I don't want you to ever think Matt knows everything. What I want you to think is Matt trusts Jesus. Okay, that's where I want you to be. All right, so I don't know everything. I'm a regular person just like you. I am not a pastor. Okay, <laughs> you don't have to be a pastor to talk about Jesus. Okay, here's what I do know. I know Jesus. And when you know Jesus, you can be confident in two primary things, both sides of the gospel, two sides of the same coin of the gospel. You're completely forgiven because of the, the cross. You're completely righteous because of the resurrection. Those two things I will not change my mind on. You will never convince me that you can outsin the blood of Jesus. You will never convince me that you can undo your righteousness, which was a free gift, which came through the resurrection. Those two things, I will go to my grave standing on those two things. I will die on that hill <laughs> because Christ died on that hill. <laughs> Everything else I'm learning and growing just like you. So when we talk about the Bible, just understand this. I might be wrong. <laughs> you ever heard that before? I might be wrong. I'm learning and growing just like you, but this is what I know so far. Okay? All right. Now, if you want to contact me, oh, that, and there, I just want to talk about that for just another minute. The reason why I talk like that is I want you to not be confident in me. I want you to be confident in who you are. I am a member of the body of Christ just like you. We are equal. I'm not on a different level. Doesn't matter how many followers I have, it doesn't matter how many social media likes I get, whatever books I sell, we are equal. I am just using my gifts to express Christ with me and through me. You have your gifts, okay? So I want you to be confident in who you are. And confidence will only come when you understand who you are and who Christ is and who you are together. That's what I want you to get from my ministry, okay? So when I'm dead and gone and I'm pushing up daisies and people are talking about me, I want them to say, he helped me be confident in who I am and who Christ is and who we are together. Okay. And those two things, confidence in yourself, confidence in Christ. And that is ultimately you and Jesus together. Those two things are based on the cross and the resurrection. So that is my message. Okay. 
That is what I want you to ultimately pay attention to. All right. Some people think that I wake up every day and I'm just looking to stir up trouble and, and kick over religious headstones. I'm not. <laughs> I, but the religious headstones, which are in this cemetery all around me, I'm walking through this seminary and I'm pointing out, pointing it out, pointing it out. I'm not kicking them over. I'm just saying, hey, that's not the truth according to scripture. Hey, that's uh, that's incorrect according to what Jesus has done. Hey, the early church, it just didn't work like that. So I'm not kicking these headstones over. I am just walking through the cemetery, not trying to stir up trouble. But even when you look at Paul in Acts 21 and 22, he was almost killed by a religious mob. Why? Because he wasn't doing things according to the religious mob's tradition. This happens today with me on social media. And people, they send me messages and they're like, we're really sorry people are attacking you. We're really sorry. You've really helped me and just don't pay attention to that. Listen, I, I enjoy your encouragement, but they are allowed to have their opinion. This is the same type of zealous behavior Paul faced in Acts 21 and 22 whenever he was telling them that Judaism had ended in the cross, at the cross. I face the same thing, so I understand where they're coming from. And what did Paul do? They almost killed him. <laughs> the, the, Roman, the Roman guards had saved him and he stood up and addressed them in Aramaic and he gave his testimony. So I'm going to keep doing that. I'm not going to attack those people who are attacking me. I understand that they see certain parts of human tradition differently because Jesus is not a big deal in the places that they learn from. Okay, so that's okay. Okay, we're all learning and growing. All right, so that's what I want you guys to know about me. I'm learning and growing just like you. Okay, now let's, um, oh, if you want to contact me. If you want to contact me, I welcome your interaction. Um, I don't typically go back and forth in the comments section on social media. I have no time for that, and I'm not interested in that. But I will be glad to interact with you. All you have to do is go to my website, go over to the contact page, shoot me a message. If you want to talk about something, I'll be glad to talk to you. Sometimes those messages go to spam. So I check my spam filter about once a week or so. So if I haven't gotten back to you, that's probably why. The other reason why I won't get back to you is if you keep abusing that, I'm going to take a little step back because I don't want you to think, I got to go to Matt for the answer. Oh, what does Matt think? Oh, let's go to Matt. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to step back because <laughs> you, you know, I'm not that guy. There's ministries out there which are like that. Okay. But contact me. Now, when you're on my website, be sure to check it out. I got a lot of free resources. You know, some people are like, oh, you just have a ministry so you can make money. No, I don't. I have a full-time job. I own a company. I do this because I enjoy it. Okay. So in everything that I write, you can actually read for free on my website. Just go to my website. You can read it all for free, <laughs> except for my first book, because I didn't put my first book in devotional form. If you want to read the first book, yeah, you would have to buy that. Okay. It's like eight bucks. All right. <laughs> all right. Um, also, when you're on my website, be sure to sign up for my free daily email. Go to the free newsletter tab, put in your uh, name and email address and early every morning you will get a devotional that I have per personally written in your inbox. All right, so let's get to today. Walk talk. Should Christians go to church? Should Christians go to church? Oh, 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 then some fighting words, McMillan. You're always looking to stir up some trouble. You're always looking to stir up some trouble, aren't you? 
No, I'm not. I'm not trying to stir up trouble. I'm not starting to, trying to stir up trouble. I'm trying to help. I want to help you. I don't want to disrespect you. I love you. This is not to get shock value. This is not to get a bunch of likes and a bunch of interactions and stir up the algorithm. This is to help you understand your freedom. Freedom is scary because freedom is not preached. But the Bible says it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't let yourself be bound again by any yoke of slavery, including building attendance. So we're going to get into this deep today. I think it's really going to help you guys out. I think it's really going to bring a lot of attention to what Jesus has done through the cross and the resurrection. Okay, so should Christians go to church? Now, here's what I'm going to do today. Today, I'm going to actually go over three errors about should Christians go to church. Okay, I'm going to tell you what they are. And then I'm gonna give you a little bit of church history. Now, I'm no expert on church history, but I know quite a bit of it, okay? So, when I talk about church history, the reason why I'm talking about church history is not to snap the legs out of what you believe, my friend. I don't wanna cause you any type of anguish. I don't want to disrespect you. Um, that is never my goal. But I'm going to talk about the three errors. I'm going to list the three errors. I'm going to talk a little bit about church history, where we get this notion of going to church. And then, um, and then I'm going to dive deep into the three errors. And then talk about what the church is supposed to be now, based on scripture. We're supposed to do it by the book, right? <laughs> if we build, build our modern church on what the actual scriptures say, according to the New Testament... Okay, the Old Testament is for the Jews. Christ ended the law at the cross. Okay, we see this in Romans. That's why he also said it is finished. Is it still available? Okay, quick side note, because I know somebody's going to say, Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the law. Yes, he did say that. A better translation is destroy. So when he said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Okay, a better translation is destroy. The, the, and the reason why is it's not destroyed. It's still available. You could, I could pull it up on my phone right now. If you want to follow the 613 commandments. But he fulfilled them. This is why Romans chapter 10 says Christ is the end of the law for all who will believe. Okay. All throughout the epistles, the law is not of faith. Sin will no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. The law was brought in so that sin would increase. So that grace would increase even more. So we look to the law. We're not antinomian. We don't say it's bad. And we say, that is impossible. I need grace. That is the wide road which will lead you to destruction. I am going to enter through the narrow gate of grace. Okay. So, back onto, the, onto today's message. When I talk about certain topics, I am looking at it in light of the old covenant and the new covenant. Okay. So, that's what we're going to do today. And I'd also like to say... When we talk about church, we don't go to the Old Testament to establish what our churches look like, okay? That's Judaism. We're going to get into that. That's why a lot of stuff is happening today. The Old Testament does belong in the canon of Scripture. We don't need to take the Old Testament out, but we need to read the Old Testament based on what happened at the cross. So everything in the Old Testament was fulfilled by Christ at the cross, Okay, now, the three errors. The first error is Hebrews 10.25 and Exodus 20, verse 8 are commandments to go to church. 
Hebrews 10, 25 and Exodus 20, verse 8 are commands to go to church. That's the first error. We're going to talk about that. Second error, Paul wrote to church buildings and there were church buildings in Revelation. Okay, I'm going to re repeat that one as well. Number two, Paul wrote to church buildings and there were church buildings in Revelation. Okay, and then number three, Jesus went to the synagogue on Sunday, which is church. Repeat that again. Jesus, number three, the third error about should Christians go to church. Number three, Jesus went to the synagogue on Sunday and the synagogue is church. Okay, so we're going to get to that. Now, I'm going to precipice this again, just so you know. I am not trying to get you to stop going to church. I get accused of this. It's par for the course. I understand where they're coming from. When you preach the true message of the gospel, which is focused on Jesus, everything that people find their identity and righteousness in, <laughs> they want to crucify me over. That's why Jesus was crucified, because he was exposing the true standards of the law to those who believed they were following the true standards of the law. And they weren't. So he called them hypocrites, snakes, children of the devil, whitewashed tombs, <laughs> blind. I'm not calling any of you guys that. It, I am not telling you to stop going to church. Okay, so I want to put that in the beginning. When I talk about this, at no point am I ever trying to convince you to stop going to church. But let me precipice this as well. So this is freedom. When you have freedom, you got to have both sides of the coin. I am also not trying to tell you to go to church. Neither. I'm not telling you to stop. I'm not telling you to start. You're free. This is a Christian liberty issue. You have to deal with that. Not me. You are free to go. You are free not to go. But we're going to go over the errors of what people believe are commandments to go to church because that's not in the Bible. Okay, here's another thing that I want to say from the beginning, which I get a lot of accusations over. I am not against church buildings. <laughs> okay? Why do you hate the church buildings, McMillan? You just hate church buildings. Where are we supposed to go? Are we supposed to just meet in a field? What, what are we supposed to do when it's cold? What are we supposed to do when it's hot? Calm down, man. Chill. <laughs> buildings are nice and warm. Buildings can be nice and cool in the summertime. They can keep you dry. I'm not against the buildings. Okay, so I'm not trying to stop you from going to church. <laughs> from the beginning, I want you to know that. I'm not trying to say anything negative about an actual building. Okay, I that is the biggest stamp that I want to put on this today. <laughs> if anything, you can remember. No, well, Matt's, Matt's never said that we should stop going to church. Oh, Matt never said anything bad about a building. Matter of fact, he spent two or three minutes in the beginning of his introduction of Should Christians Go to Church on that Walk Talk, episode 150. I think this is 150. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. So if you go to a church building and you want to go there, far be it from me to stop you from going. Far be it from me to try to push you into going. Oh, you're, you're telling people to not go. See, there it goes again. I know where it goes. <laughs> I just want to go back to the Bible. 
find this stuff about church buildings, our gatherings, where church history happened, how we came up with this, and then let's talk about it all based on the gospel. That's what matters. That is ultimately what we need to do as the body of Christ. All right? So, so before I begin with the three errors, I want to talk about a couple things about church history. Now, first of all, let's talk about this. The words go to church are not in the Bible. Go to church, that phrase was actually first used by Clement of Alexandria about AD 190. Go to church. Go to church. Clement of Alexandria, AD 190. Okay, about 150 years after Jesus lived, this person used that phrase and it was recorded. Now, when Clement of Alexandria, Alexandria used that phrase, go to church, he was not talking about a place of worship, an actual geographic, quote, brick and mortar location of worship. He was talking about meeting, okay? The early church did not have a place of worship. They met in homes. Now, right there, some people say, oh, you're just telling people they just need to meet in homes and they shouldn't go to church buildings. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. But that's where their religious mind goes. They're like, Matt's against it. Matt's against it. Matt's against it. I'm not. Pump your brakes, man. I am not saying you can only meet in homes. So I'm not creating any new law. I'm not creating any new commandment. I am saying what the early church was established on was meeting in people's homes. Okay. <laughs> That, that's the reality. They did not have places of worship. Now, when the first group of Christians began, the temple was still around. So they still dealt with a place of worship. But they did not go to the temple as a Christian to worship. Because everything being done at the temple to worship was Judaism. Okay, everything in Judaism is contrary to everything Christ has finished at the cross. We're not picking on the Jews. We're not picking on Judaism. But the reality is Christ came through this human DNA lineage. Therefore, <laughs> we talk about it. And God set it up this way so he could redeem those people under the law, but then also redeem those who were not under the law. Okay, and they had this sacrificial system. God wanted the Messiah to be born from this lineage. But that lineage, as far as their religious customs with the religious location, was finished at the cross. This is why when Jesus died, a 10, 15 foot curtain, I think it was actually taller than that, in the most holy place of that religious location, the temple was torn from top to bottom. The veil was torn. So now everybody has access to the creator. The most holy place is now finalized in Jesus. Okay, so the temple was still there after the original church was established through Jesus. I'm going to get to the word church in a moment. But... That place, they were being encouraged to stop going there. Just imagine it. Imagine you have 1,500 years 
of tradition. All of your ancestors went to this place, did these religious duties, <laughs> gave their animal to be sacrificed. It's big, it's beautiful. And it was, it was, you had the tent in the desert. Then Solomon built a temple and it was destroyed. And now this is the second temple. We're going to keep going to this temple. No. They had to repent from Judaism. This is the entire point behind the entire book of Hebrews. The entire book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews, those who were still wanting to go to the temple to receive animal sacrifices. This letter would have gotten the author killed, so the author did not even sign it. Nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. That's why I'm going to talk about Hebrews 10.25 in great detail today when I go over the three errors. But when the early church was set up, they didn't have a place of worship. Okay? They did not go to church. Plus, the temple is not church. So when we go to the Bible and we find the word church, first of all, the word church is not in the Old Testament. The word church wasn't even in the Bible translated as church until about the 13th century. When we go to the Bible and we see the word church, the word for church, which is describing the body of Christ, the original word is ecclesia. Now, when the word ecclesia was translated into church, there were other words that were translated into church as well. Such as assembly, congregation. There were unbelieving assemblies which now when you read the word church, it says church. So you read that and you're like, okay, that's talking about the place I go to on Sunday. Pastor's preaching. We play, uh, pass the plate. We sing. We go home. We go eat our fried chicken and mashed potatoes. That's what a lot of people think when they see the word church all throughout the New Testament. However, there are many instances in the New Testament, especially in the New Testament, especially in the four gospels of the use of the word church. And it is not the Greek word ecclesia. So we, the body of Christ, are the ecclesia. We are the church. The ecclesia is not a location. The ecclesia is not an individual. The ecclesia is described as a living organism. A body. Okay, so when you see the word church in the Bible, in the New Testament, you need to determine, does this say, is the original word ecclesia? If it's describing ecclesia, it is talking about you. But not just you. It is talking about me. It is talking about every individual on planet Earth who has ever trusted in Jesus by grace. That is the church, according to the Bible, the ecclesia. Okay, that is paramount to understand. That is going to help so much in regard to understanding that the words go to church are not in the Bible. Because the ecclesia is. You cannot go to something that you are. All right, now, so where do we get this connotation of church buildings? Because today is Sunday. It's about 10.50 Central Standard Time. 
October 2022. I don't know what date is. I guess I should know. But I normally don't date these because I know people are going to listen to these years down the road and I don't want them to have any specific thoughts about the specific year or, or time. But today's Sunday. That's really what I want you to know. There are hundreds of thousands of places where people are gathering right now with the name church, the title of church. So if the Bible does not list an actual church building as the church, why do we see this? What do you think? Why are there so many church buildings? If go to church is not in the Bible, if there's no commandment to go to church, and I'm going to go over those three, just give me a minute. Well, more than a few minutes because I'm going to go deep in this today. Where did it come from? So the first church building was not even erected until, as an actual building that's separate from a house. It wasn't even a place of worship. It was just an actual building that they built together. They still did not see it as a place of worship, but just a place to gather other than a house was around 200 AD. Okay, now, that's when the first building began. Then we got some things that happened. <laughs> there are people who we call early church fathers. Now, a lot of people, because they're so steeped in certain traditions, when I mention this, they take it personally. If that's you, I am not trying to attack your beliefs. I'm not trying to attack anybody as far as like air quotes fathers, but I'm just going to be real about the early church fathers. Jesus said, call no man father. So you could, you could call your biological parent a father, but in regard to a spiritual father, Jesus said, call no man father. But yet we have early church fathers, air quotes. And when I say we, I'm saying soft we because this ain't me. So the early church fathers, people think just because it's old, it's true. No, it's true if it's based on what Christ has accomplished through the cross and the resurrection. And a lot of the early quote church fathers were getting a lot of it wrong. Okay. <laughs> So when this began, I just just do some do some searching on some early church fathers, read some books. There's lots of material out there, but the early church fathers got a lot of things wrong. Just like me, just like you, we get stuff wrong. So what? I'm not saying they weren't saved. I'm not saying they were bad people. I'm not disrespecting them. I'm saying they were fallible humans, just like me, just like you. But from the beginning, they got it wrong. A lot of them. Because there is no church fathers. There is no honorific titles in the Bible on this side of the cross. Nowhere. We are a body of Christ. There are no fathers. But the early church fathers began to create church buildings as places of worship. Cyprian of Carthage. He was one of them. Okay. And then we got, and what did Cyprian of Carthage do? Cyprian of Carthage created the sanctuary. That's Judaism. There's no sanctuary. You, a sanctuary means sanctified place or sanctified building. That's Judaism. What could sanctify you? 
Before the cross, only blood of animals. After, and that had to be repeated annually. After the cross, Hebrews 13 tells us we are sanctified only by the blood of Jesus. And Hebrews 10 tells us that only happens once. There is no sanctified location. And why was it a sanctuary? Because that blood atoned, sanctified for the past year of sins. Jesus comes along, sanctifies all of humanity by grace through faith, through the real temple in heaven. Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, but he, he brought sanctuaries back into it. He brought, brought the altar back into it. The cross was the final altar. What is an altar? An altar is a place of Jewish animal sacrifices in order to receive forgiveness for your past year of sinning. But Cyprian of Carthage, put the altar back in. Put the sanctuary, the, the sanctified location back in. You know, and now we have people who think there are such things as altar calls. That is error. Am I saying that there's something wrong with people going to the front of the building to receive Jesus? No, but I'm saying that's not in the Bible. Paul said you receive the spirit by hearing with faith to the Galatians. So you believed before you went up there. And that altar, if this is something you grew up in, and I did, I've gone to many, quote, altar calls. <laughs> that was created by Cyprian of Carthage. And it's passed down because when we go to the Bible, nowhere do we see an altar mentioned on this side of the cross. We only see it in Hebrews. Animal blood. What else did he do? He created a pulpit. There is no pulpit in the Bible. On this side of the cross, we see no pulpit with no person up on stage. There is a pulpit mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 8 in the Old Covenant. And it is simply a wooden platform that the priest Ezra stood up on once and read the book of the law. This was not at a church. This was not a pastor. This is not what we see today. There is no pulpit. <laughs> Read the Bible. Please just go to the New Testament. So there's no sanctuary. <laughs> there's no altar. There's no, no pulpit. But Cyprian of Carthage, early church father, you know, before scripture was canonized, people began to believe this error. Okay. And then you also have... Um, Ignatius of Antioch, he created this position of pastor around 100 AD. The, the apostle John had just died and he was looking for a way to create order. And he took this word pastor, created a title, created hierarchies, put people in charge and said, nobody can do anything unless the pastor is present. But that is not in the Bible. The word pastor is only used once in the New Testament. And that's nowhere to be found around it. And I talk about that in all my introductions. Yes, there are elders but an elder is not a pastor. There are deacons, but a deacon is not a pastor. An elder is simply somebody who is mature in the faith. There were unbelieving elders who followed Jesus around. According to Judaism, every religion has elders. An elder is not brother Bob, brother Jim, standing up front, <laughs> you know, guarding the church or voting on something. That is not in the Bible. There is no deacon board in the Bible. There's no elder board. An elder is sim simply somebody who understands the gospel. Okay? But we got all these man-made traditions being shoved into the early church, pastor, sanctuary, elder, places of worship. Now, when the era of Constantine happened, this exploded. 
<laughs> if you don't know who Constantine is, Constantine was the emperor, the emperor of Rome. He began his reign in the, uh, around 300 AD. Now, Constantine was a Christian. I don't know if he's a Christian, but he claimed to be a Christian. No, you can never tell somebody's a Christian. Okay, some people want to say he wasn't a Christian because of this, or he was a Christian. We don't know. Paul said, do not say who will ascend. Do not say who will descend. So I don't know if Constantine's a Christian. I will never tell you if somebody is a Christian. You can never, ever, ever tell whether or not somebody's a Christian. Only God can read their heart. There are some of the most grimy appearing people who have trusted Jesus and they're saved. There are some of the most polished appearing people and they've never trusted Jesus. They've only trusted their own behavior, repentance, actions, repentant attitudes, studies, where they go, what they start, what they stop, the things they say, the way they correct, the way they judge. They've never trusted Jesus. So I don't know if Constantine was saved, but let's talk about Constantine. Constantine is responsible for the explosion of church buildings. That is the reality. Constantine, emperor of Rome. So Constantine did some good things for the church. So the church, when, when the ecclesia began, it was under huge scrutiny, huge persecution. Constantine comes along and air quotes. I don't know whether or not he's saved or not, but let's just say Constantine for this walk talk. Let's just say Constantine's a Christian. Constantine comes along, believes he's the emperor. So he begins, he begins to do a lot of things for the ecclesia. Now, he's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of power. And he begins to use state funds to erect buildings as places of worship. Okay? This is where it took off. Constantine. He built buildings for places of worship. And he also took a lot of the stuff from the early church fathers and mixed it in with that. Such as the stuff from Cyprian of Carthage. Cyprian of Carthage was also responsible for priests. There are no priests on this side of the cross. Go search every New Testament letter. There is no priest in charge of anything. There are priests all throughout the Old Covenant because that was part of the Levitical priesthood, animal blood sacrifices, everything that had to do with Judaism. But then Christ came and made the priests unemployed. We see this in Hebrews chapter uh, 8, 9, 10. There are no priests. But early church fathers said, yes, we have to have priests. Constantine allowed it. Peter said this. You know, a lot of people want to say Peter was the first pope or Peter was the first priest. No, he was not. That is nowhere to be found in the Bible. Peter said we are all members of a royal priesthood. All of us. The word priest just simply means representative or representative of God. That's it. But Constantine took the places of worship built these buildings, gave them protection. Okay, so what the early church was used to struggling and striving and doing everything they can to get this message out about the way, about Jesus, Constantine protected them. So, you know, this, <laughs> whether you agree with this or not, a lot of the way that the early church thrived was now snuffed out because they didn't have to continue with that certain way. Now, it's a good thing to be protected, but all I can tell you is this, is when I go to the gym and I work out and that's hard, 
I know that makes me stronger, but I got to go and work out. Now, this has nothing to do with my salvation. This has to do with me working something out to get stronger at. When Constantine put the churches under protection, they no longer had to do that for the most part, unless they were going to foreign lands. But he gave them protection. He allowed this, quote, priesthood. Okay. This is why Constantine, his name was, uh, his title was Pontifex Maximus, which means chief of the pagan priests. And that was actually the Pope's honorific title in the 15th century. Okay, I'm going to get to some of that pagan stuff in a minute, but I want to establish the fact that the reason why there are so many church buildings is not because of what's in the Bible, but it's because of what Constantine allowed, built, established. So am I against the buildings? No, I'm for the Bible. And we can look at this stuff in church history and we can see, okay, so this is where this is coming from. All right. Now, um, what else about Constantine? You know, a lot of times people will go to the Crusades. The Crusades was Constantine slaughtering groups of people over Christianity. But (laughs) that's not God. That's not even anything God represents. That is what Constantine had did because Constantine struggled with tons of error. Okay. You know, look at it like this. Imagine if I sat down at a piano and I began to play Beethoven and I did my very best to play Beethoven. I suck at playing Beethoven. There's no way you'd be like, that's terrible. Now, would you say I hate Beethoven now because Matt tried to play Beethoven and he was terrible at it. No, you would just say, Matt cannot play Beethoven. That was a bad representation of Beethoven. Beethoven's music is still beautiful. So that is how we have to look at a lot of the stuff that Constantine did. Just because Constantine was attempting to represent Christianity doesn't mean that has anything to do with the gospel. He established the buildings. That's not in the Bible. He established clergy and laity. That's not in the Bible. He even said, if you're in a geographical region, you have to be a Christian. That's not in the, in the Bible. Here's another thing, which ties in nicely with today's walk talk. He declared Sunday a holy day because he also worshiped the sun God. Hence, Sunday. And a lot of people say, oh, no, 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 no. We worship on Sunday because the early church, they changed it in the book of Acts. <laughs> no, the early church was a bunch of Jewish people. They knew full well, you could not change the day of the Sabbath, which is the day of rest, which is the day that we want to say is a day of worship. The Sabbath was on Friday. It was actually from sundown on, excuse me, Sabbath was on Saturday. It was actually from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So the early church did not change the day of the week to match up with what we want to say is thou shalt go to church because thou shalt go to church is not in the Bible. So Constantine, Constantine, you know, everybody's like, oh, you blame everything on Constantine. No, I'm not. I'm just going back to what happened in history. History is important. We need to know where this is coming from, especially when it's not coming from scripture. So Constantine established a church building, established a priesthood lady, established Sunday as a holy day. 
You know, what, what else did Constantine do? Constantine mixed in tons of pagan stuff. When I say pagan, I'm talking about non-Christian stuff. Everything that is not believing in Jesus. Okay. Constantine saw objects as having holiness. Actual physical objects. Okay. His mother even went to the place where Jesus was crucified in that area. I think it was Palestine. And supposedly she got pieces of the cross. So Constantine's mother went to the Middle East, got pieces of the cross. And she saw those pieces of the cross as holy. It's a wooden... Did Jesus die on that cross? Yes. But that cross, what's the final altar? There's nothing holy about that. It is wood. Would it be cool to have? Yeah. But they started to see objects as holy. So you can, you can do your math on this. Certain things that you hold in your hand and rub as holy. I'm not attacking any particular denomination right now. I'm just going back to church history, finding out where this all comes from. And a lot of it comes from the Constantine era. So you got these objects that are holy. There is no physical object on this planet that is holy. You are holy. Paul said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said that in 1 Corinthians and he said it twice. You know, a lot of people say, I got to get up on Sunday and go to the house of the Lord. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. That's not the house of the Lord. That's, that is a building. The same two by fours in concrete is used to build the KFC. The Bible says in the book of Acts, God does not dwell in temples built by human hands. In fact, Hebrews chapter 3 says, you are the house of the Lord. Not a building. Not a temple. You. So if you decide to go to that place, you are the holiness that have gone into that place. Well, I'm not holy. Yes, you are. Why? Because of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 says, you are holy. You are blameless. Colossians chapter two, that's Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter two says, you have been made complete in Christ. That place is not holy. That person on stage is not holier than you. You are holy. All right. Here's another thing about Constantine. I'm going to get into the three errors about should Christians go to church here in just a moment. Constantine. All this pagan stuff that he mixed in with Christianity. I'm going to talk about two other things with Constantine. Constantine came up with mixing praying to dead people in with Christianity. This is necromancy. Praying to the dead, for the dead, with the dead. Constantine pushed this into the church because it was part of the pagan beliefs he had. What does that tell you? You know, we are warned in the Old Testament and the New Testament against necromancy. Do not try to talk to people who have died. When you talk to people who have died, you are not actually talking to that person. They cannot hear you. Jesus said there is a great chasm between us and them. So the Bible says you are speaking to demonic spirits. And here's the thing with demonic spirits. They can mimic relatives. They've got 
information about relatives. They've got all these things that they can see in the spiritual realm and they can make it seem as if they are somebody that you know. And they can even, Paul said Satan can appear as an angel of light. And that was when he was describing the super apostles. <laughs> but, air quote super apostles. You cannot talk to dead people. You are not Haley Joe Osmond in the sixth sense. If you think you can, or if you think dead people are talking to you, those are demonic forces. So we do not pray to, quote, dead saints, alive saints. We don't pray with them. We don't get them to pray for us. That is nowhere in scripture. That is necromancy created by paganism and then pushed in to, quote, the church because Constantine wanted that. Why did Constantine want that so bad? Why? This is going to blow your mind. Constantine built 12 statues of the 12 apostles. In the middle of that statue was his tomb. He wanted to be prayed to after death. He wanted to be considered the 13th apostle. Come on. You, we do not pray to saints. I love Mary. I respect everybody who has lived before me, who, who has believed. But a saint is you. A saint is me. A saint simply means sanctified one, holy one, set apart one. This is why Paul said to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in Thessalonica, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints. You are a saint. We don't pray to saints or with saints or through saints. However, they want to chop it up. We don't speak to dead people. And if you think you're doing that, you are interacting with demons the reality because there's nothing in scripture that says you have to pray to a saint or you should saint is holy one and you have been sanctified sanctified is another word for saint <laughs> set apart one so constantine is responsible for a lot of the stuff that we see today a lot and you know it if, if you want to learn more about this, there's, there's some books that I highly recommend. First book is uh, Pagan Christianity. Be sure to check that out. Another book is A Church Building Every One Half Mile. Be sure to check that out. There's a podcast that you got to listen to by a good friend of mine, Mike Adams. And the name of his podcast is The Unsunday Show. So The Unsunday Show with Mike Adams. Be sure to check that out. Mike Adams of the Unsunday Show understands church history very well. He is much more studied than me. You know, I just kind of dabble in it just a little bit. And I know the, the main pillars for the most part. I'm not perfect on it, but I do know the foundation of where this erroneous stuff came from. And a lot of it is based on pagan tradition from Constantine. There was a lot of good things that came from Constantine as well. So we don't want to just say Constantine's bad or Constantine didn't believe. There was a lot of thriving, but eventually that thriving got out of hand. Okay. Now let's go over the three errors of should Christians go to church. Number one, 
Hebrews 10.25 and Exodus 20 verse 8 commands us to go to church. Okay, so that is error. So let's go over both of those verses because this is... This is just taught, just regularly. And when you're taught something, you don't know something until you know something new. But if we just go back to Hebrews 10, 25, and we go back to Exodus 20, verse 8, and these two foundational passages that people use of, this right here proves that you have to get up and assemble yourselves at a church building once a week on Sunday. Hebrews 10, 25, do not forsake the assembly. So, first of all, the book of Hebrews... They did not go to church. This is written to the Hebrews. Remember, the word church is not in the Old Testament. The Hebrews had the synagogue, and they had, they had synagogues, multiple synagogues, and a synagogue was not church. A synagogue was more or less a Jewish study hall. It was a place of studying the Torah. Okay, and then you had the temple, and the temple was not church either. The temple was where the animal sacrifices were done, and all of the priestly duties. So Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the assembly. What does it say before this? So that you can encourage one another. What would be encouraging? Jesus. So remember, when this was written, the temple was still standing. The author is writing this to the Hebrew people who had heard all about Jesus and were still going to the temple and doing all the temple stuff. So he's saying, or she's saying, whoever wrote it, continue to get together to encourage one another about the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. This is not thou shalt go to church because the only place they would have gone to would be the synagogue or the temple. So where would they have gathered? How did the early church gather? How did the early ecclesia get together? In people's homes. Okay, just imagine it. You hear this message about Jesus. You might have even seen him hanging on the cross. You might have witnessed his miracles. You might have seen him feed the 5,000, raise Lazarus from the dead. Um, you might have done all of these things in the present, or saw Jesus do all these things in your presence, but then he dies. He ascends, and you know he ascended. But this big temple is still here. All of my customers are going to the temple. All of my relatives are going to the temple. We've been doing it like this for so long. It's so big. It's so beautiful. The author of Hebrews is saying, continue to get together to encourage one another about the whole book of Hebrews, but primarily Hebrews 9 and 10. What is the context behind Hebrews 9 and 10? The once for all bloody sacrifice of Jesus. Keep getting together. Encourage one another about Jesus. The author compares the once for all sacrifice of Jesus to the annual sacrifices of animals through the priests. And he's saying, that's better. Get together. Talk about that. Praise God. Worship God. Say things to one another. Love one another. But he's not saying, get up on Sunday and go to church and listen to your pastor and respect your pastor. That's not the context at all. As a matter of fact, the very next passage tells them to stop going to a building. The temple. And again, I'm not against the buildings, but this is not context of remember the Sabbath, or excuse me, I'm going to get to that. Uh, do not forsake the assembly right here. Hebrews 10, 25. That is not go to church. All right. There are some church buildings where they do not encourage you about Jesus. 
They do not talk about his once for all sacrifice. They do not talk about your complete righteousness. They do not talk about anything positive that has to do with the Messiah. But you think that you have to keep going to that building because of Hebrews 10.25. Oh, you can't even give God one hour of your week. Oh, it sure can't hurt. Oh, are you just telling them they don't have to go to church? Be careful from this guy. He's a false prophet. See it? It's the same thing Paul went through. You're saying something positive about Jesus, but they hear that you're saying something negative about a building. Because they're so building focused, not Jesus focused. What matters most at the building? The message. So if you are going to a building because of Hebrews 10, 25, and you are taking Hebrews 25 as thou shalt go to church, but yet you're going to that building and they're not sticking to what Hebrews 1 through 10, 24, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through Hebrews 10, 24 says, then that place is probably not a healthy place to go. Oh, you're telling them not to go to church. You said it right there. No, I said it's probably not a healthy place to go. That's what I said. You can go. If you want to be subjected to that stuff week in and week out, turning the word repentance into a work, thinking you got to enter the church lotto through your tithing so that you can really show God your faith by giving somebody money, thinking that you can do something about your sins at a location, you're free. You're free to do that. But I'm saying Hebrews 10.25 does not command you to do that. If you want to assemble yourselves together and encourage one another about the once for all sacrifice of this mediator of the new covenant, of this once for all sacrifice, of your complete perfection, of your complete sanctification, that's a good place to be. But don't get so hung up on that place is not around me, but I need to go to a place because of Hebrews 10.25. That is error. That is putting yourself back under a bondage of slavery that God didn't even intend for you to be under. Okay? Now let's go over to Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is one of the Ten Commandments. So here's what's interesting about that. Today's Sunday. Everybody in all these buildings are breaking this commandment. All of them, every single one, they are not remembering the Sabbath. They are not keeping it holy. <laughs> because today's Sunday. The Sabbath is on Saturday. Oh, yeah, you're right, Matt. It is, it is on Saturday. That's why I'm Seventh-day Adventist. Ah, ah, ah. If you want to follow any of the law, including this one of the 10, which is 10 of the 613, you have to do it perfectly. James said in James 2, chapter, or James chapter 2, verse 10, if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. So you don't get to use the law like a buffet line. Oh, I'll take, remember the Sabbath. I'll take thou shalt not kill. Uh, I'll leave thou shalt not be covetous. Uh, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. I'll leave that one too because I might want to commit adultery. We don't get to cherry pick. You break them, break one, you break them all. This is why Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 3.10, you are cursed if you don't continue to do everything in the book of the law and Christ will be of no value to you. 
He's saying it is all or nothing if you attempt to do that. You have to do it all. You don't get to just pick this one. And here's another thing. Let's say you're like, nope, you're wrong. We get to, we get to chop up the law. We get to pick this part, leave this part, and blah, 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 blah. All right, if you want to go that route, even though that's not true, <laughs> because Deuteronomy chapter 4, or Deuteronomy 4, 2 says, do not add to the law, do not take away from the law. It's 613 or bust. And when you break the commandments, you got to go to the Day of Atonement. There is no more temple. There's no animal sacrifice system. They are without hope in regard to achieving, air quotes, forgiveness at the temple. This is why they're fighting so hard to get a third temple built. But that's a whole different subject. But let's just say you want to follow the Sabbath. If you do anything opposed to it, that's punishable by death. Anything opposed to it. Any type of... Any yard work, that's considered work. There was somebody in the Old Testament who gets killed for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. This is the stringency of the law. This is why Christ is the end of the law for all who will believe. So that's the first error about should Christians go to church. Hebrews 10, 25 and Exodus 20, verse eight is not a commandment to go to church. All right, let's go on to number two. Number two, Paul wrote to church buildings and there were church buildings in Revelation. Okay, we just talked about where the church buildings came from. Okay, when Paul wrote his letters, he wrote letters <clears throat> up until what? The year 80... 63, somewhere around there. Either way, it was before AD 200. <laughs> okay. So Paul was not writing to a church in Corinth. The first letter to the Corinthians was, was written in what? AD 53, 54, 55. But yet the first, the first church building wasn't erected by any group of the ecclesia until around 200 AD. And then the first church building for worship began after AD 300. So when Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Thessalonica, to the saints in Colossae, and he wrote all these different books to the churches, or to the church, to the church, to the church. He is talking about the ecclesia, the organism, you people, all you who have believed. He was not writing it out, putting it in an envelope, writing an address, and writing a particular address at a church building. He is writing this to a group who met and he did it all over the place with these non-Jews. Okay. So that is an error about should Christians go to church? Paul wrote to church buildings. No, he did not. There was no church buildings. Okay. And then what about revelation? Oh, I got you right here, Matt. It says to the church in revelation, to the church in revelation, in revelation, to the church, to the church, to the church. Those are symbolic. Again, <laughs> the entire letter of Revelation is symbolic, which proves, well, even if it wasn't symbolic, which it is, because John starts out saying this is a vision, so you have to read all of it as a vision. Just because it's a vision doesn't mean it's not true. It means it's symbolic. All new covenant prophecy, which is what is to come, is written symbolically so you don't live a neurotic life. That's how Revelation is written. But we have so many people who for a long time who have made charts and graphs and a math problem out of Revelation and all of them have been wrong. But yet you can't buy or sell. 
Oh, it says it right here. Oh, that's the mark. Okay, well, did you receive that from a horned dragon? No, the horned dragon. The horned dragon is symbolic, but the mark is literal because it says we can't buy or sell. Okay, so that part is symbolic, but this part is not symbolic. What gives you the right to pick what's symbolic and what's not symbolic? We just have to lay our worries, our neuroticism down at the feet of Jesus and say, okay, I can see that everything is eventually going to end and we win. I'm going to read Revelation symbolically because that's how it's written. And there are seven symbolic churches at different parts of the globe. Those are not buildings. <laughs> so we can't say right here, Revelation, this church and wherever. Symbolic. And if it wasn't symbolic, it would still be a group of the ecclesia. It would not be a physical building. All right. Okay. <laughs> and then um, let's go on to number three. Jesus went to church on Sunday. The synagogue was the church. I kind of already gone over most of this, but Sunday? No, he did not. He did go to the synagogue, but it was on the Sabbath and there was no work happening. <laughs> the synagogue is not church. There was no pastor. There's no, there's no sermon from a pastor. There's no plate being passed. There's no praise and worship team. There's no um, keeping track of everybody's income for their tithing. There's no altar call. There's none of that stuff. The synagogue was not church. And Jesus did not go to the synagogue on Sunday, go to church on Sunday. And he didn't go to the synagogue on Sunday. Well, he might have. But according to the Sabbath, when you see that Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, that was not Sunday. That was Saturday. Because we do see in the Gospels that Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. It's not church. It's not church. <laughs> you would have to superimpose everything that was established by the early church fathers into the Gospels in order to get that theology. That's the only way. Because it's not in the Bible. It's not. So if you go to church, it's not because Jesus went to church. Okay. If you go to church, it's not because Paul wrote a letter to a church building. If you go to church, it's not because Hebrews 10, 25 and Exodus 20 verse eight commands you to go to church. If you go to church, it's because you want to. All right. That's it. That's it. So how are we supposed to do church? So many people message me. They're like, Oh, this makes sense to me, but what should I do on Sundays? I don't know. You're free. <laughs> I'm just like you. You're free. Freedom is scary. You, you're, you can even use your freedom to go to those places if you want. You can use your freedom to do a walk talk. <laughs> you can use your freedom to write a book. You can use your freedom to go play golf. You can use your freedom to sit on the back porch with your beautiful spouse and listen to the birds. You can use your freedom to Try out a new church building location. You can use your freedom to go help somebody at a food pantry. You can use your freedom to whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? Am I supposed to give you some new commandment on what to do just because I'm bringing to light the truth that no Christian is commanded to go to a church building? No, <laughs> I'm just like you. I use my freedom. You know, who knows? Who knows? Maybe next Sunday I'll wake up and I'll, I'll go to a church building. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But I'm not commanded to do that according to the Bible. I'm free. 
It was for freedom that Christ has set me free. Why would I put myself under a yoke of man-made slavery just because I have 955 comments that attack me because I say Christians are not commanded to go to church on Sunday? I won't. I'll let them have their opinion, you know, and I'll keep sticking to the gospel, even though I get attacked by the zealots, because at least they can't stone me to death like they could Paul. <laughs> you know, and maybe one day they'll, it'll all make sense. And they'll say, oh man, I need to reach out to Matt and apologize. I get apologies all the time <laughs> because I don't respond in an aggressive way. Because I want to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that I have, but I want to do so with gentleness and respect. And if I am trying to correct everybody who thinks when I say you're not commanded to go to church, I'm some kind of big fat wolf. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to enjoy any type of gentleness and respect in my own life or in others' lives. So I let them have their opinion. Whoever's influenced by that, that's not my worries. I have to stick to the message of the gospel. <sighs> you know, Paul said in Colossians chapter two, don't let anyone judge you according to a Sabbath day. What do we do? We judge people according to whether or not they go to church on Sunday. Oh, you better get up. How are you ever going to learn about the Lord? Hmm, I don't know. From somebody on stage mixing law and grace. From somebody telling me I need to test God by giving my money to him when that's not in the scriptures. By going to a location and begging God to come down in this place when he's already here. By going to a place and sitting in front of somebody who is only on stage because of their system of nepotism that was set up in their family. Why? I'm not... I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not there anymore in my thinking. I'm free. I love those people, but I'm free. <laughs> so who knows? You know, Paul also said, and hey, here's another thing. This might be new to you. This might be a new message and you're still struggling with this and, you know, building worship and gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. You can still go, friend. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I'm telling you about my testimony just like Paul did after he was attacked by the religious zealots, religious zealots over the temple in Acts 22. I'm telling you my testimony. Okay. And he also said in Romans chapter 14, he said to some people, a specific day is holy to other people. Every day is holy. Each of you should just be convinced in your own mind. What is he saying? He's saying, don't pick on people because they believe a certain day is holy. So I hope that's what you get from my message because I'm the person in the beginning of that chat, in the beginning of that verse. I see it or after that, either way, I'm in that, but I'm the one who says every day is holy. Holy means set apart. And I don't ever want you to think I'm trying to convince you to not go to church anymore. No, I got a follower. It's the neighborhood dog named Todd. Look at Todd. I can't see him on the podcast, but there's Todd right there. Todd will actually follow me around. Once I get done with this walk talk, 
and I will run for about an hour and he will follow me. Then I'll have to run all the way over here to this other side of my neighborhood just to get Todd to go back to his house because he will camp out in front of my door. Okay, I was I seen him and I turned around real quick, but he saw me and now he's following. Anyway, if you see Sunday as holy, that's fine. I see every day as holy. And I, I just want you to be convinced in your mind every day is holy. Every day is holy because Christ is in you. Christ is your life and Christ is holy. So how are we supposed to have church? I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. But when we go to the Bible and we look at the description of the only section of the New Testament where we see the gatherings. It's in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. Read that. That is what our churches ultimately, according to the Bible, should look like. What do we see in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14? First of all, we see them communing. That is simply eating together. Communion, we have even, and that was another thing from Constantine, turned communion into a sacrament. In the Bible, communion is not a sacrament. It was a full meal. 1 Corinthians 11, they got together, they had a full meal. But the problem is, because they're immature, they were all getting there early, drink, drinking all the wine, getting drunk, even dying from alcoholism eating up all the food, and Paul said, eat at home. If you're going to come to these gatherings and binge eat, eat, eat and drink at your own home. But we see 1 Corinthians 11, they got together, they, they ate. I like to eat. So that would be cool. Okay, and then what else do we see? 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, 14. We see people sharing Group participation is encouraged. They are listed as a body with many members. Paul even says, if there's only one part, where is the body? Yet today we see one main part, a person with the title of pastor on stage. Imagine if every part of your body, all of the effort was put onto one organ. Do you think that one organ would survive or be able to maintain the body? No. But yet we put all this emphasis, even our, when we go to churches, the stage is pointed at this, or the, the, the chairs are all pointed at the stage. There's no group participation. It's one person's opinion about what they have learned so far. That's not in 1 Corinthians. And we have to go to the Bible to build what our church looks like. You know, a lot of people want to go to... 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and say, right here, these are pastors. These are pastoral letters. The word pastor is not in any of those letters. There is no specific description of interaction in their groups in those letters. The only, the only section of scripture where we see actual details of our gatherings is 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, and they ate together. It was group participation. They were all body members, and the only head is Jesus. It doesn't say the head is the pastor or the head is an elder. The word pastor is not in 1 Corinthians. They rejoiced with those who were honored. They suffered with those who were going through hard times. They sang a song if they had a song to sing. They sang a hymn. 
if they had a supernatural gift to express, they expressed it in an orderly way. Paul even corrects people for speaking out in the middle of the service, interrupting everybody. And he says it about a woman. And here's the thing. A lot of people will go to this section of scripture and say, women have to shut up and sit down in church based on this section of scripture. No, sir. Paul said there is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. The context of this is church order. As a matter of fact, in the same section of scripture, it's that a woman should prophesy. And prophesy means speak. It's not future telling. Prophecy is what is to come, but we see prophesy in 1 Corinthians. And it says a woman should prophesy. But he says, do it with long hair. They say head covering. So the Corinthian culture, a shaved head meant you were available for prostitution. So he's saying, if you're going to speak, you're going to have visitors from this Greek city. Make sure you have long hair. Represent Christ properly. Because that would be just the same as if we were having a group gathering and somebody, a prostitute, who is clearly dressed like a prostitute. You know what they're... I'm not even going down that modesty subject today. But imagine if a prostitute was in church with a little bikini on telling everybody about Jesus. This would be the same thing as having a shaved head back then. This is not about putting something on your head. And when Paul said the women should ask their husbands questions, he's saying do it at home because they're speaking over other people. Clearly there was an issue here with individual people who were interrupting this group and he is all about order. It had nothing to do with their sexual gender. It had nothing to do with whether or not they had a title. Nobody has a title. We see no title. Group participation, loving one another. He talks about the love of God in 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of people go to 1 Corinthians 13 and they're like, this is how you're supposed to love others. That is true. But even deeper, this is the love of God for us. This is the love of God for them. That is, that is the ecclesia. All right, so maybe that's how we can do it. I don't know. <laughs> all I know is God works all things together for good. All things. So everything that happened with the early church, everything that happened with Constantine, everything that's happening now with our modern church, God is working everything together for a greater good. Okay? And you just use your freedom. Use your freedom. Be yourself. It's really that simple. Love one another. Use your gifts to serve one another. If I have a gift of speaking, I want to use my gift to serve you through my words so I can get you to understand the goodness of God through the cross and the resurrection as well as your identity. Okay? So, should Christians go to church? You cannot go someplace that you are. You are the church. You're free. Use your freedom. Use your freedom. Whatever you do with it, sanctify it, which simply means be yourself. You're the church. I'm the church. Where we go, Christ goes. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. And he is continuing to build this church, not physical locations. 
but the ecclesia. All right. So I hope this has encouraged you guys today. I uh, hope it has brought to light maybe some error about going to church. I hope I did not dissuade you in any way from going to church. I hope I did not persuade you in any way to go to church. I'm not trying to do either. I'm trying to convince you that you are the church and you lack nothing. Don't worry. Don't worry. God will figure out a way for you to express him through you, no matter where you're at. All right. This is why you should always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. There's nothing wrong with you. And you are the church. Let Christ live through your actions and attitudes and always be prepared to give an answer for this hope that you have and do so with gentleness and respect because that is what fits you best. <laughs> I don't always pull that off, but I'm learning and growing just like you. So always tell the truth about yourself. Always be yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.